We're throwing off the filters of tradition and culture to discover what the Bible really says about relationships, relationships with God, with ourselves, and with others. Welcome to this episode of Relationship Truth Unfiltered. Welcome to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. I am so excited today because our guest is one of our own, Leanne Parsons. Leanne is a seasoned, experienced coach, and I am so grateful. She's been with me on our team of coaches for almost three years, and she's known me for a long time before I knew her. So I'm so glad that we met in our mutual living area of Sun City West and so thankful that she's on our team. Besides Leanne's amazing skills and credentials as a coach, the two things I admire and love most about her is that she loves, loves women, and she loves, loves Jesus. And one of the things Leanne is most passionate about is helping a woman learn how to make a life-changing shift from playing the blame game, which all of us have a tendency to play pretty well, and reacting defensively to life's hurts, to learning how to design a life, a life with dignity and purpose, so that she can respond in love to those she cares most about. Now, Leanne is the daughter of four sets of parents, which is a story in and of itself, the wife of one strong man who I have met, and yes, I agree, the mother of two amazing humans, and Grammy to seven extraordinary grandchildren. So welcome, Leanne. I'm so glad you're here. Thanks so much for your contributions to our team and for sharing this time with our listeners. Leslie, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be with you today. So we're going to have to start with this question about four sets of parents. I'm curious. Four sets of parents. Well, Leslie, I'm an adopted human being. And so I'm just going to start there. So if we go back to 1964, when I was conceived, I was conceived back in the 60s, where there was a tremendous amount of pressure for two parent families in a marital situation, idyllic situation for a baby to be brought into this world. Well, that wasn't the start of my story. So in 1965, when I was born, my birth mother made a very difficult decision to relinquish her parental rights. And so at five days old, I went from her womb to a foster home and I had a set of parents there. Three months later, I went from their home to my adoptive family's home, where for about nine years, I had a consistent set of parents. Then a divorce situation because of abuse, neglect, many things that would take five podcasts to talk about. (laughs) My parents were divorced. My mother was a single mom for a while and then remarried. So there I had another set of parents. So there you go. Four sets of parents in about a 10-year period. So I've experienced a tremendous amount of Rejection, abuse, relinquishment, remarriage, addiction, you name it, it's all there within a context of about 10 years. So that was my beginning. Wow, you're right. That could be a podcast in and of itself because I think so many of us had a rough start. And so one of the mistakes that people often make when they meet a coach is they think, oh, their life is perfect or their life was perfect or they didn't have any struggles or they have it all figured out or they don't have relationship problems or they didn't ever have what I've gone through but you have walked through some of those deep waters. And can you share a little bit more about not only what you walked through, but how you dealt with it, both in a good way and maybe not such a good way? Absolutely. Well, thanks for the opportunity. Many times people are afraid to ask, what's it like to be you? And you just did that. And yeah, I've had a lot of relationship challenges in my life. So growing up with the complexity of adoption for one, addiction for another, and then different abuses for another, I experienced a tremendous amount of identity challenges, personal struggles, growing up, always wondering, do you love me? Where do I belong? Do I fit in here? All of that was part of my story. And I think it gave me basically a really big hole in my heart, my mind, and my spirit, where I was always looking around my situations, the people in my life to help to fill that hole. And I did it in some very healthy ways, got involved in sports. I even played the clarinet in sixth and seventh grade. 
And I tried to fill it with all kinds of things. And then I became extremely peer dependent. And I looked to the relationships that I had all through school for them to fill me, whether it be boyfriends, girlfriends, and then really longing for some answers about why am I here? Do I belong? And I wasn't sure how to answer those, Leslie. And it was really a challenging time for me where I fell into some unhealthy behaviors and patterns early on. Like? So there was alcohol as a teenager. There was premarital sex as a teenager. There was parties. There was lying to my parents. I became a chronic liar, actually. And I didn't even understand. I started to believe the lies that I was telling myself. So I'm going to pause there because that's a lot. And so for those who are listening, this conversation might not be for young years. Well, you know, I think it's so important and I appreciate your willingness to be vulnerable because I love the phrase in the scriptures, but God, but God, but God. And so there was a but God moment for you, Leanne, where you began to make a shift. And so let's just talk about that because whether it's been alcohol or premarital sex or more of the X-rated sins that we talk about, or it's just people pleasing and striving and looking for approval, which are more of the whitewashed sins that we don't talk about. Women have been externally oriented to validate their identity. Do you love me? Who am I? Tell me who I am. Tell me I'm worth something. If you love me, that must mean I'm worth something. If you don't love me, that means I'm not. I think so many of our women who are listening to this can relate, whether it was in big ways that they did that or in other ways that are more acceptable. We all, as humans, are looking for someone to validate us. We're just looking in the wrong place. So how did you begin to make that shift? Yeah, you know, we really do. And so looking for love in all the wrong places. And so I made started to make that shift when I graduated from high school. And I actually left my parents' homes. So I moved out. You know, I worked very early on in my high school years, all through high school, looking for that validation. And then when I moved out and I decided that I had some choices to make about how I was going to spend my time and my energy. And so I got my own apartment with a friend. I was able to find a job that would start to feed some of what gave me life instead of looking outside of myself to feed me life. And I started to grow up and mature. So that was step one for me was I realized I don't have to remain that child anymore. It was time to kind of big girl up and take a step forward. So I'm going to pause there for a second. What might you want to know about that? Because I could go lots of ways with this. Well, I know we have a lot of other content to get to. So I want to just talk about the first thing that you said, and that is I recognized I have choices. And I think that's a huge first step is that it's a choice to continue living in an unhealthy way, or I can grow up and start to learn as even a non-Christian, a more healthy adult way. And so even at that time, you weren't a believer, and yet you began to make some healthier, more choices. And when you talk about finding a job that fed you life, I think that's really important information for our women to hear, because I think so often we just default our life choices to, uh, well, you know, I know I need to get married, I really want, you know, and it's not necessarily, it's a choice that we got married, obviously, but it's like we never thought we had other choices. We never even considered that we could do both. We could have a career that brought us life and fulfilled some of our God-given abilities and gave us the ability to serve in bigger ways than just being a wife and a mom. We just don't even consider that as a choice. So I think that's such an important part of what we even talk about in our ministry of recognizing you do have a choice. God has given us a choice. Every person has a choice. And the more we learn to exercise that and be conscious of our choice, I think the better steps we can make going forward. Absolutely. You know, one of the greatest freedoms is freedom of choice and remembering that we have it. And I remember, you know, growing up when I was going to this job that fed me and gave me life, I would take a bus 
And I would look on that bus all the time for, for tracks to, you know what tracks are, right? Christian tracks to, to explain the gospel. And it was funny because I remember picking up a track one day and looking at it. And this was one of those turning points for me. And it spoke truth into my life. And knowing that um, I didn't have to lean on my own understanding, that I could lean into Christ and he would make my path straight. And so I started to look to him. I grew up in the church, but I didn't know Jesus. And so when I was in that quest of looking to what fed me, instead of people pleasing, instead of trying to find my way and push my way in to different situations or relationships, I started to learn to let go of that desire and to embrace more of what could be possible, what could be possible. And that was a real powerful way for me to step into something completely different. And so, Leanne, this makes for a really good transition to what we want to talk about today, because we've talked a lot about this in our ministry here, but what is the blame game? Because the blame game is kind of going into, I have no choices. The blame game is, it's your fault that I feel the way I feel and there's nothing I can do about it or explain the blame game for our audience. So one way that I could put the blame game is that it's a cycle of behavior where the individuals in the relationship stop taking responsibility for their own thoughts, their own emotions, their actions, the circumstances and our situations. And so instead of taking responsibility for themselves, they blame everybody else for all the relationship yuck that they experience. The communication, the conflict, and the breakdown is somebody else's fault. And in the blame game, we're afraid to hold up a mirror and look at our own lives. I think it's so true that a lot of us tend to start there or even stay there. And again, if we go back to the idea of choices, what we're saying is, Hey, I had an affair. Yeah, because it's your fault. I had no choices. You know, I had no choices because you wouldn't sleep with me. I had no choices because you were mean to me. I had no choices. Or I got angry with you because, you know, you pushed my buttons. And so I had no choices but to push you or to hit you or you wouldn't listen to me. So I had no choice but to grab you and pull you in the room, or make you sit down so you could hear me. So I think this is very prevalent with our population, at least on the one end where we see the abuser playing the blame game, but the victim can play the blame game too. And she can believe that she's lost her power to have choices. And this is so important because even when working with an abusive man, I'll say, so you had absolutely no choice other than to hit her. So do you hit your boss when you're angry with him? Do you hit other people on the bus when you take it to work and you're angry with them or the bus driver who's driving too slow? Do you hit him when and it's like, all of a sudden, no, well, why not? You had other choices and you didn't make them there because you knew there would be consequences. And so obviously you have choices here. And so for the abusive person, we really cut through that blame game pretty quick. But for the victim who feels so disempowered, so choiceless, even with God, I have no choice. I have to submit. I've heard that so often that they just feel stuck in a really unhealthy place. Well, we do. And I think when we feel stuck in a really unhealthy place, Leslie, we can get extremely defensive. Conflict becomes our greatest friend. We can have a breakdown in communication that's hard to get back. And it's hard to shift out of that. And the consequences of the blame game are costly. Very, very costly. I saw it in my life. I blamed a lot of other people for what I was experiencing in my life, instead of, like I said earlier, holding up the mirror and taking a look at what role am I playing in this blame game? Because it's hard to play the blame game all by yourself. Help our audience to kind of unpack that. What role were you playing as you began to hold up the mirror? What helped you hold up the mirror, first of all? Because it's so easy, just like the Bible tells us, you know, we see the speck in their eye. It's really hard for us to look at what's in our life, not that causes their problem. They have their problem. We have ours. And so maybe for me, it might've been, I'm overly accommodating. I'm overly accepting. I'm overly. And so I allow stuff that other people think are okay. That's not okay. And then I blame them for me being so tired, or I blame them for me having to do all the work at Christmas, or I blame them for not helping when I never asked. I never said, I can't do this. I never said, 
this is too much for me. I don't want to do this. Absolutely. Leslie, I love that you brought that up. The tolerations, I call them, and the coping that we do, and the never said, never owning, never even getting to know ourselves enough where we don't have to tolerate. We can actually let people know who we are. And I think you asked, you know, how did I hold up that mirror? What brought me to that point is I had a choice to make. Was I going to get to know the woman that God created me to be? Or was I going to live as the woman everybody else told me to be for 20 years? That was a choice that I had the privilege of making. And so truly, Jesus is the one who helped me to hold up the mirror. Receiving him as my Lord and Savior many years ago gave me the foundation to build upon. And then going through my coach training actually really helped that. Life experiences helped me to kind of give me those pillars to build on the foundation that God had given me. When I think about the idea of getting to know myself, I had an an opportunity to do some self-reflection and self-examination. So growing up as an adopted person and relinquishing a lot of who I was to fit into my family really, I guess, enabled me to let everybody else tell me how to act, what to think, who I was. I let my family define me. As I grew and matured, I realized that I, and as I received Christ, I realized that I got to ask the creator God who I was, what made me tick, why did I show up like I did, who gave me my hair color, my eye color, he did all of that. And so instead of letting other people define me and put labels on me, I had a chance to really dig in with God and get quiet before him and ask him, who is it that you created me to be and why in the world am I here? Those are such important questions. And just, I remember that moment myself and not wanting to be who God made me to be. Once I began to realize God didn't, I wanted to be like you. I wanted to be more extroverted. I wanted to be more fun loving. And I'm a very introverted, serious not fun by nature person. And I didn't like that about myself, but I didn't realize that God made me that way for purposes and for good reasons. And once I began to accept who I was, I could flourish in who I was, but I was languishing trying to be someone I wasn't. And it was exhausting trying to be a life of the party when you're not the life of the party. You're the life of the party. I'm not the life of the party. I'm the observer of the party. And so to be able to be okay and not feeling like what's wrong with me that I'm not that, that I'm not like that. I'm like this. And that is exactly who God made me to be like. And there's good components to that and weak components to that for all of us so that we stay humble. But to be able to accept and know who I am gives me then the freedom to explore my gifts and strengths and abilities in that place. Indeed. And I just really love that word explore, Leslie, that you just spoke about. And so that is part of letting go of some of the negative behaviors, the thought patterns that I had as you know a young person. And so being able to look at where my strengths lie, where my weaknesses lie. And this has come about, you know, I'm just shy of 60, just keeping it real here. (laughs) And so, you know, I've had a lot of years to muddle my way through and figure out more of who God has called me to be. And so knowing that iron sharpens iron, surrounding me with other people who can help me to see things in my life that I can't see has been key for me to let go of those thought patterns that were keeping me stuck and give me the courage and the brave to explore more of who I am. You know, a few years ago, I did something that not everybody would do. And I jumped out of a perfectly good airplane. And people will ask me now, Leanne, why in the world did you do that? And Leslie, I have to share one of the biggest reasons that I did that is I was tired of living in fear about the future and the things I couldn't change. When given the opportunity 
to go, go to the other side of fear and understand more about what trusting God fully was like, I stepped into that opportunity to jump. And while I was in the sky, while I looked around at creation, I saw the other side of fear and I found my brave, my brave to embrace all of my story, not just parts of it, my brave to start learning to live as a woman uniquely created by God, not defined by my roles or even my responsibilities, but to be defined by who God created me to be. And so until I did that, not that many years ago, I don't think I fully understood what walking in strength and dignity was all about. I love that. And for those who are listening, we have a wide range of audience here in ages. But I think sometimes when a woman gets to empty nest and children are grown, they sort of feel like, well, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do here. And, and you're saying that you're just shy of 60 and you're learning all these new things in your 50s, that you're growing and you're thriving and you're seeing and you're gaining more freedom and you knew how to put your brave on. And I would say, and I'm at over 60, I've learned far more in the last 10 to 15 years in my life about who I am, how life works, what God has equipped me to do than I learned in my 40s. And so if you are at the upper end, don't lose heart. You have absolutely no end in sight of what God might do to you and with you and for you if you start reorienting yourself. And so one of the things Leanne is really strong at helping women do is identifying who they are by looking at core values. How can identifying one's core values, Leanne, start to change that blame game? Hmm. You know, I think as we identify our core values, we can gain clarity about what's important to us, and then it guides our actions. So for me, finding my brave a few years back was my next level. You know, every chapter of my life, every decade has taught me so much, but there are some key things, Leslie, that God imprinted into my DNA at my conception that I have the opportunity to peel back a layer and find that. And so when I am working on identifying core values and letting go of the blame game, it helps me to make choices, have emotions and thoughts that will support the healthier side of me than looking to the people-pleasing side of me. And so it takes a tremendous amount of work, self-reflection and self-awareness and a real God awareness in my life in order to do that. And so I'm going to pause there for a second. I feel like we are, you know, diving into some really deep waters here. And I so appreciate, I just want to say thank you to you for helping us go a little bit deeper today. Yeah, I think at least the women I talk to today crave deeper. They crave yeah. this real truth unfiltered, uh, the, both the good and the bad of, of life, the hard and the scary and the beautiful and the, and the sweet. And so, Leanne, I wonder if you could walk us through a typical exercise or process that you would use to help a woman uncover what her core values are. If she's sitting here listening to us and she's going, I sort of understand what they're saying. I hear it, but I don't quite know if I've ever done that for myself. I never, I don't know what is most important to me or what my core values are. I just think we should be godly and maybe that's, but that is a core value. So how can someone discover their core values? What is an exercise that you could do that you might do in your coaching practice with a woman who's trying to discover what that is for herself? Yeah. Well, if we could back up just for a moment, let's define a value. Let's define a core value here for a minute. So a core value is a way of being or believing what we hold is most important, what really matters to you, what helps to govern how it is that you live your life. What are you basing your decision-making tools and agency on? And so, and the other part of that would be, what do you want to pass on to the next generation? And so knowing what the Lord has deposited into your soul 
is incredibly important. So with that definition of what a value is, we get to look at, I mean, there are lots of different tools on the internet. You can Google for values and find out, or you can reach out to us in our ministry and we can help you get a list of core values. And then you want to take a look at that list. You want to be really prayerful as you look at that list. And I often say, ask the Lord to reveal to you what you cannot see on your own. And so you want to look at this list of values. You want to pause, pray, reflect, and then choose. You want to choose, I say, start with your top 10 values. Look at that list. It could be everything, you know, if we were to go from A to Z, right? Everything from accomplishment down to zip lining, okay? (laughs) Whatever it would be. And you want to look at those values. And then let's see what I encourage the women that I work with to do. Identify the top 10. When you have your top 10 identified, Define them for yourself. Ask God to help you to define them. Each and every one of us, as we read the word accomplishment or connection or health, peace, recognition, self-expression, trustworthiness, loyalty, we could define those different based on all of our life experiences. You know, I have a different set of lenses than you do based on what I worked and walked through in my life. And so identifying and defining what those values and virtues look like for you and how you receive those is going to be really important. So defining them, right? So step one is identifying the values that mean a lot to you. Step two, defining them. And then I'm going to pause there before we go on to step three and see what thoughts that you would like to add or questions might you have about that. I just think this exercise is so important. And when I began to do it for myself, it really helped clarify why I was doing what I was doing and the importance of it, because they were perfectly aligned with my values of hating injustice and wanting you know, to speak up for the oppressed and all of those kind of things. Those might not be the same values for everyone else, but I always felt guilty like, oh, why aren't I doing this? Or why aren't I doing that? Or why aren't... Because God didn't call me to do that. God didn't put that in my heart. And a real, maybe a very practical way you can think about this, if you don't have any clue about what your core values are is a smorgasbord. Any of you have gone to, you know, those buffets where they have a gazillion choices. Let's picture a really good buffet. Maybe it's at Walt Disney World where they have excellent food and really good buffets and you're overwhelmed with all the choices you have. That might be when you get to the values chart, you're going, oh my gosh, I want some of all of this. All right. And of course we do. We want some of all of these values. All of this food looks excellent and we want some, but you can't consume it all. And you can't be at all in the same way that you can't have every single value as your top 10. And so as you approach that smorgasbord, you're going to look and say, you know, I I, I might like to try this fish. I've never tried it before. So I'm going to put this on my plate and I'm going to try it. And I might like to try this fruit because I never tried this fruit before. I know I really like grapes and I know I really love watermelon, but I've never tried kiwi. Maybe I'll try that. So now you're trying on some different values to see if they fit for you and just in your mind. And when you try them on in your smorgasbord, you're going to taste them. You're going to know, oh my gosh, this kiwi is so good. If I had to choose kiwi between kiwi and watermelon, I would choose kiwi. So now watermelon goes from one to two because kiwi now has gone to one because you've tried it and you said, oh, this so resonates with my body. I love kiwi. Or you might try the fish and say, uh, I could eat it if I was starving, but I don't think I would ch- ever choose this. It's all still good food. It's all still wonderful things. And that's how values are. Every one of them has a place and every th- one of them will appeal to someone else. It just might not be you. And that's okay. What's important is for you to prayerfully go through each one and check with your spirit. What appeals to me? What tastes good for me? And what is just okay. Hmm. 
I love that analogy of the buffet. And that's one of the big challenges that I see the women that I work with and that I personally had myself. I did want to be all, for all, and do all. And so narrowing it down to 10 is step one, defining, or, you know, step two, I guess it was, and then defining them and then trying them on for a little while, asking God, is this me? Does this feed my soul? Does it feed my spirit? Does it encourage me to be the best woman that I can be for your kingdom, for your glory, God, and for my growth and the people around me? Leslie, when we are not fully ourselves, we're not able to engage with the world and impact and give the world all God wants us to give. And so, you know, when we work with our women, it's so fun because sometimes I have women get mad at me. And as a coach, I'm okay with that. My job is not to make you comfortable all the time as we do this values work. And so when you come and say, I couldn't narrow it down to 10, I've got 25. Okay, well, let's go do it again. What really feeds you? What really speaks to you? And so then after we get the 10 values, Leslie, what I encourage the women to do now is then, okay, now let's go down to five. And they're like, oh, no, wait, I get no, wait, I want to hang on to all of this. And it's like, but at the core, we can't be all and do all and do it well. Just We're like we can't eat everything at the buffet. We just can't. So you have to pick what appeals to you the most. Right. And what God has given you. So not, you know, for me, it's like not only what's going to feel comfortable, because sometimes my values are going to make me uncomfortable to fully live into them in alignment with God. I might be stretched and maybe I have a value that I have not been living in my entire life. Like what? Give an example. Oh, let's see. All right. So here's one that is really current for me. Presence. To be present, to be fully present and not rely on something else to numb or buffer my presence with others. I did not realize that that was one of my core values until last year. Every year I claim a word, Leslie, and sometimes it's not a values word. God will give me a word every year to focus in on and hone in on. Last year was presence for me. And as I worked on being more present with others, being more present with myself, being more present with God, which means fully there and nowhere else. So I'll define present. Fully here and nowhere else. I realized that there was areas in my life where I wasn't giving the gift of presence, not only to myself, but to God and to other people. And that was a zinger and it stung and it cost me vulnerability, authenticity, and it cost me a level of connection with God that the consequences could have been devastating. Yeah. Yeah. I've begun to be much more aware of that in my life as well. And even in my own time with God, even with my own time with God, and I'm reading the word and I'm talking to God and I'm thinking about the next thing I have to get done, or I'm thinking about checking my email, or I'm thinking about Facebook Live that I have to do. And that's not living in that value when even in the most important relationship that you have, you're distracted with all kinds of other things. And so what Leanne is saying is recognizing that, not beating yourself up over it, but just recognizing it. Wow, I'm not present. Lord, help me to be present because this is important to me. It's important to me to be present in my relationships and not for anything I'm getting out of it in the moment, but just to be present and listen and listen well, whether it's with my child, grandchild, husband, or even the Lord, instead of being all kinds of busy in my head of what the next thing I have to do. Right. Leslie, I love that. And so, you know, here's, this is the, the next step then in this values work is I, 
we'll just take the presence because we're right here right now with that. I got to take a look at my life and do some deep evaluation on a scale of one to 10. How well am I living that value? First, I had to say, how important is this to you really, Leanne? I had to, you know, really do some deep work. And then how am I living that out every day? Am I walking that out? Am I showing it in the way that I communicate with others, the way that I connect with others, the way I connect with myself and the way I connect with God? And if I am not, why not? And let's peel back that those layers. And I didn't do this work all by myself. I had to have some help from the Holy Spirit, as well as opening myself up to wise other people. And that's one of the things I love about being on your team and walking with you in friendship, in personal, in professional world, is surrounding myself with people who will be a truth teller to me. So when I ask some people about my presence, am I aloof or am I fully here? What's going on? Do you see me disconnected or connected? Am I living into that? Am I walking in alignment with what it is that God has deposited in me? And I think for so many years, that idea of presence wasn't important because I was so busy trying to meet the needs of everybody else or to be somebody else. I was living somebody else's life instead of my own. And so taking that ownership. It has its beauty, its brokenness, it's scary, and it's sacred. Yeah. So, Leanne, how does one learn to take that pause, to mm. notice that they're not living in alignment with their values, and choose something different? We've been talking about all of this. We've been talking about choices, and we've mm -hmm. been talking about how do we move beyond the blame game, because blame is not doing any of this. You're not pausing. You're not noticing. You're not choosing anything different. You're just reacting, reacting, reacting to the other person. And so we're not in the habit of doing this in our culture, in this time in our life. We are so busy, 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 and we are so distracted with social media and all the dopamine hits we get from checking our accounts or checking our email or Instagram accounts or all those kind of things that we're not present. And that may not be someone's value who's listening, but it might be a different value. Maybe one of your values is to be a great mom or a great parent, even if you don't have a great marriage. And yet, you don't find yourself living in alignment with that value. You're rushed, you're busy, you're short-tempered, you're yelling at your kids in ways that you don't like. And so what does it take to help us to learn to pause, notice, and choose different? Mm. You know, it. those three words have been become so incredibly important to me. The ability to pause, to be able to breathe, to take a step back, and be an observer of your life for a minute instead of being absorbed in all of the motion and commotion in your life. And so when we have the opportunity to pause, we can step back. We can look at our life. We can be more God-aware and more self-aware and more others-aware, realizing you are not the center of your universe. You know, to learn everything didn't revolve around Leanne or even around the people in my life that were trying to get me to revolve around them. All right. And so being very aware. And then the other part of pausing is accepting my situation, accepting the situation that I am in. That is an important part of the puzzle here. One effective strategy that I have for pausing is breath. It's taking time to take a breath. And then I, when I take a breath, Leslie, and I pause, it helps me to be a little bit more grateful in the moment. Pausing helps me to see what I have, what I can do, and then what's possible. And then we, that goes on to the notice piece. I can notice what resources, what opportunities are around me? How can I resource what is around me to help set my environment up for a more whole, encouraging, and inspirational day? 
Those choices are mine. No one can do this for me. And so developing the habit of gratitude and pausing and noticing, we can recognize what could be possible. And I think so many of us have a habit to default into looking at what's wrong, what we don't have, what we can't do. And so we can do a little bit of lift, right? I could blame the weather for my bad attitude. There's the blame game again. And so what would be different if we decided instead of playing the blame game and blaming God for my bad day, my bad relationship, the bad weather, whatever, we started playing the responsibility game. And that's what pausing, noticing, and choosing is all about. It's playing a new game. It's engaging with life in a new way. And this takes time and effort. It's valuable. And I believe pausing, noticing, and choosing is a skill. And it's a practice. And it is a new way of being and living in the fullness and wholeness of God. He gave us five senses. And oftentimes, we don't use all five senses in order to live our lives. And so when we can notice what's happening on the inside of us and on the outside, we can start to notice and to make different choices and choose how we want to engage, how we want to show up. And we don't, you know, we can think that we need to react and be explosive and negative to try and get our point across. I've had people in my life tell me that the only way I can get my point across is to be reactive, explosive, (laughs) dare I say, going nuclear blowing my top. That's the only way that I can get my point across. And one thing that I love about working with women is helping them to see that they don't have to do that. They can choose to do that when it's appropriate, if it's appropriate, but it's not a way that we need to show up every day in order to live a full and whole life. So two things. One is I want to just clarify what we mean by taking responsibility, because I think in the Christian world, that has kind of been seen as taking blame, taking the blame. So if you're going to take responsibility, take the blame. And we're not talking about that. It's not your fault. It's not my fault that the weather is the way it is. The weather is just the way it is. Your husband may be the way he is, and it's not your fault. Taking responsibility is taking responsibility for the way I am, the way I experience this moment. So I have to take responsibility. So I'm moody and grumpy and disappointed that the rain is not going away and it's dark and cloudy and I can't change that. And it's not my fault. So the responsibility is not that. It's how do I take responsibility for my experience today? Because I do have choices. I can sit here and brood and be angry and look out the window and count the minutes until the sun comes out again or be angry with God. Or I can say, this is the way today is going to go. I don't have a choice about that. But I do have a choice about how I'm going to live today. Am I going to live brooding about today and the weather and that won't change? Or am I going to live productive? Am I going to paint a painting? Am I going to read a good book? Am I going to call a friend? Am I going to clean my house? Am I going to do something that energizes me or feeds me or makes me feel better, even though the weather is the way the weather is? And these are the things that we talk about by taking responsibility for your own well-being, for your own well-being. And if your husband isn't changing, you can't blame him for the way you are. You can blame him if you want to for the way your marriage is a little bit, but what might be possible if you didn't get so depleted by him and let him suck all the energy out of you? How might that be different for you if you knew how to take responsibility for your own self-care and your own well-being and your own safety. Indeed, it's so important to go there. And I love the word responsibility because we have the ability to respond differently. And so all of this goes to, when we talk about this pause, noticing and choosing, we can notice that we have choices. And we often encourage here in our ministry about doing a brain dump. What choices do you have? What do you notice? What can you do? Write it all down. So maybe you're here listening and you're going, wow, my head is spinning. We've been given a lot of gold nuggets and aha moments. 
right? And gifts during our conversation today, write down, I want to encourage you, grab a pen, grab something to write with. What choices do you have when, for using our example, will I let the weather stop me from being fully me? No, let that not be said of me. And God's word tells us in Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, weather, relationships, challenges, betrayals, any of it, value exploration by prayer and petition with thanksgiving. There's that gratitude piece. Present your request to God. And so part of pausing, noticing, and choosing is saying, God, I choose you. I choose your way. Help me to see things through your eyes. I can't see it clearly all by myself. And then there's a promise in that verse, Leslie. It says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. And I love that. When I do this, when I let go of anxiety, when I pray, when I seek God with a heart of gratitude and ask him to help me to notice what might be possible, his peace is going to flood me. And I'll tell you what, that peace is what allows me to be present. It allows me to live into my values. It allows me to let go of the blame game and stop pointing my fingers at everybody else and wanting them to help me to be okay. Realizing God is the one who can make me okay. He is the only one that can fill me. And so I have an opportunity and I have the responsibility to lean into the one who created me, who loved me first, and who knows me on the inside out in order to fill me. And so choosing to see him first, to be present with him first, before I open my mouth, before I open my heart or mind to other things, it's to go to God first. You know, following Jesus, I've often heard this say, isn't something we do at night when no one watches. It's a daily choice, a 24-hour day commitment, and it's going to interfere with our lives. It's going to bust in, and uh, it's going to shake things up a little bit. And being okay with allowing God to reorient where we are, no matter what chapter in life, whether we're in our teens, our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, into our 90s. God is in the business of growing us up every day. We won't be mature until we're fully with him. And so what will that maturing process look like? And I don't believe we can mature until we really honor and live in alignment with our core values. And that's a choice. Yeah. Thanks, Leanne. In closing, I wonder if you might help our listeners create or just help them understand what a brave conversation might look like mm. from your core values instead of going nuclear, instead mm. of reacting. Because I think one of the things I don't want women to misunderstand by this conversation is that you know, the typical Christian advice in a destructive marriage is, well, just suck it up and die to yourself and, you know, and just persevere. We're not saying that. We're saying that he's not the problem you need to work on. He is causing problems in your marriage for sure. And he may be causing problems in your mental, spiritual, and emotional health, but mm -hmm. it's your responsibility to take ownership of that and live in your core values about what you're going to do about that instead of just letting yourself continue to be a victim or going nuclear so that you're heard, but it's temporary because then you have to go nuclear again, and then you have to go nuclear again. And that may be against your core values. That's not who I want to be. That's not how I want to show up. I feel bad about myself. At least I did when I go nuclear. It's effective. It's effective to hold a gun to someone's head. You do get their attention, but it's not healthy. And so what might be a brave conversation, a hard conversation that you have with someone who is hurting you or causing harm or betraying you or being destructive in the relationship? What might be a brave conversation that you have from your core values and because of your core values? Mm. 
I love that question. And, you know, I think something really important. So as we identify our core values, right? So you say you have your five ladies, you're tracking with us and you've paused this, you've done whatever you need to do to care for yourself. You get to look and see what value might be violated. So for having a brave conversation, if I value, well, let's stick with presence. I'm going to really shoot from the hip here a little bit. But if we stick with presence and I am in a room with somebody, I value presence, which is being all there and nowhere else. And I am in the room and I have a desire to have a conversation with somebody about something that's very important. Maybe there's been an injustice done. Maybe I'm feeling violated in some way or unsafe in some way. I have an opportunity to speak out against that. And so if I am not feeling seen, known, or heard in the moment, and I'm feeling that that person that I am in the room with, whether it be my husband, my kids, a coworker, a community member, is so incredibly distracted that I am feeling dismissed or betrayed in some way, I have an opportunity to speak up for myself and to speak out against what's happening in the moment. So I could say something like, I am feeling at this moment that I am not seen or heard. You have a computer in front of your face right now. And we agreed that we would have a knee-to-knee conversation and you've got electronics in the middle. And I am not comfortable with that kind of a messy middle. What I'm asking you to do right now is to close down your electronics and look me in the eye and have the conversation we agreed to have. That's scary and it's risky because they might reject my brave conversation. And then what will I do then? And then there's an opportunity for another brave conversation. So it's speaking up. It's standing for what's right. It's holding a candle in a dark space where somebody may not want to or share my value, but it's honoring me for me and not making myself small to make other people feel super comfortable. I I think the example was great. And I think our audience is probably sitting there thinking, well, yeah, then what happens? What if he goes nuclear on you? Because you've confronted him on something, not in a snarky way, not in a challenging way, just this is who I am. This is what I want. This is what I like. This is what I don't like. You know, I value presence. I want your presence. You agree to your presence and you're distracted and that's not okay with me. Can you turn that off and come and talk? And he may then go into the blame game. Oh, you're so critical. You're so picky. You always have to have it your way. This is what our population deal with all the time. I can just picture them sitting on the edge of their seat saying, yeah, that won't work ever because he's going to go to the blame game. And then I'm going to go to the blame game and we're off in the races. So how might she handle that kind of feedback? Pause, choose, notice, or pause, notice, and choose. So that's the first step, right? It is the first step. And so then you get to pause and say, wow, okay, I'm going to breathe here for a moment. This feels icky. It's out of alignment with my values. And then you get to notice what's happening inside of you. Are you able to stay and live within your values? And so we can probably do another whole podcast on that and identifying those and how we make choices and decisions based on what we value. And then we get to look and see what are our choices. So if I was in that situation and the person across the room from me that I had agreed to have a conversation with is so incredibly distracted, they can't be with me. I have some choices to make. I can go nuclear. That's one. I could say, you know what, let's table this for another day because this is not going well. And I need some time to reflect on this. And uh, let's, let's do this again. Or another choice I could have is, you know what? I'm never going to do this 
I'm not going to have this conversation with you again. This topic is off limits and we're not going here again. Or this relationship is not worth the effort right now for this season. And I'm not going to be able to have that kind of a conversation with you until I do a little bit more work or until you do a little bit more work. There's many different ways that we can approach the situation. And, you know, I've had this situation happen in my life, Leslie, where I had to have this kind of conversation and it's not easy. I cry. I beat myself up. And then I look at all the things I could have done different. And then I get to decide who is it that I'm going to be. If I allow myself to have this kind of conversation again, how do I want to set myself up for success? However, I define that so that I am fully me as we sit knee to knee again. And I can't know that I am fully me until I lean into God and do some reflection and take responsibility and then put on my brave and show up just a little bit differently and not be afraid. I think this is a big one. Don't be afraid to have the conversations that matter most. The cost is really high if you don't. The cost is there if you do. Part of pausing, noticing, and choosing is counting the cost, looking at the risk-benefit of every conversation that you have and weighing that out. Right. I think a really good example that most of our women can relate to is our momming. You know, when we go nuclear on our kids because they're getting on our nerves or we're tired or we haven't done good self-care, we stayed up too late watching our Netflix movies and we're exhausted in the morning. And so we're not momming in the way that our core values would want us to. We want to be patient. We want to be loving. We want to be kind. We want to be you know, gentle with our children. We want to be good mothers. Most of us have that as a core value. And how you define what a good mother is, is how you live that out. And so when you're going nuclear or you're, you know, yelling at your kids because you're not taking good care of yourself, you know the cost of that. You're going to wreck your relationship with your kids if you do that long-term. And in the same way, so that what what are you going to notice and do differently so that you can be better equipped to be the mom that you want to be in the same way when you're having a conversation with someone and you don't go nuclear, but they go nuclear on you. You stay calm, you stay present, you invite them into a healthy conversation and they refuse. They deflect, they go gaslighting, they confuse you, they dance around the issue, they blame you, or they just stay distracted and do their work and expect you to talk to them in one ear while they're busy doing something else. And you say, hey, I'm not going to do that anymore. I don't want to have a conversation where I don't matter. Not because you might not matter to him, that's obvious, but you matter to you and you matter to God and you've done that work so that you don't have to feel like you're begging someone to show that they care about you. They may show you, obviously, they don't care about you. The person who cares about you is God and the person who cares about you is you. And that's where you stand up for you, not in a self-righteous, belligerent way, but that you matter. And if this person is showing you that you don't matter in a consistent way, that's information that helps you make the next right choice. You can't make someone care about you. You know, there was periods in my life, Leslie, where I was willing to love for crumbs. And I remember when I was getting some counseling and some coaching and I was so thankful that I had key truth tellers in my life that said, wow, Leanne, you want prime rib and this person is giving you ground beef. Are you aware of that? Do you know that you are worthy of prime rib? And that was such an eye opener for me. And then with those kinds of really powerful conversations and support, then I was able to start stepping into my relationships with more resolve and agency. And I learned to set some boundaries. You know, I'm still growing in that. I I will until the Lord calls me home. I have an opportunity to learn to express myself with more authenticity and vulnerability. Those are choices only I can make. Nobody can do that work for me. And I think the, the cost of living within my core values is a much more whole Leanne. And for all of our listeners here, 
that would be my prayer and desire for you is that you would able to be all God created you to be instead of being half of the person or a quarter of the person. Our relationships, when they are difficult or destructive or incredibly challenging, they can deplete us to the point where we are forced in to a default mode instead of designing with God what our next best steps could be. And I think there is nothing more beautiful for me. When you talked at the beginning of our time together, how much I love women and I love Jesus, there is nothing more beautiful for me than to watch a woman flourish, to watch her cultivate and learn about who God created her to be, to discover and peel back the layers, to allow that sunshine right, to come in to the seeds that she is planting, to nourish her soul, and then to start blooming. Yes. And bringing that radiance into the world, into her families, with her children. Because when we let go of the blame game and we start having ownership for, like you say so beautifully, our one precious life, the impact that that has short-term and long-term is huge. And we get to decide what is the price that we're willing to pay for not living in alignment with our values and with God. And is that cost worth it? And I say, no, it's not. At least it wasn't for my life. I am not willing to settle for less than what God has for me. And once I know what he has for me, I say, let's go. And that's part of what I love about our relationship, being on the team and serving the women that we do. There is nothing more beautiful than flourishing and watching that resiliency come back to life. Wow, that is so powerful. And that's one of the reasons I so love you on our team, because that is my heart too. I have worked with so many women over the years in my practice and counseling and coaching who believe that. It's their responsibility and God mandates them to put their light under a bushel in order for their marriage to work. And God never says that. Don't put your light under a bushel. Flourish, grow, be all that God called you to be. And if your spouse is threatened by that, that's something he needs to work on or adjust to. And if he refuses, that's information for you. That's not information for you to put a bushel over your light but it does impact the relationship. And so there is a cost both ways. And so you have to decide that. But we wanted to help you understand the pathway to finding who you are. And the quickest pathway is to press pause, to notice what's most important to you. Look up the core values list on the internet. Pick a couple that you know are most important to you. You'll see maybe accomplishment on that. Maybe that's not most important to you. Yeah, that'd be nice. But what's most important to you is what? Authenticity or transparency. You'll find them and they will jump off the page to you. Just like if I'm going to go to a buffet of desserts, what's most important to me are the chocolate ones. And then from that, I'm going to pick the one I want the most. And if I taste it and I don't like that one, I'm going to put it back and find a different chocolate one. And so you'll know as you begin to live into your values, what they are and what fits and what resonates with your soul, because God made you to resonate with that. So we're going to close for now. Thanks, Leanne, so much for being a part of our podcast. I think it's really been helpful to our listeners. And would you mind closing us in prayer? Oh, I would be honored. Thank you, Leslie. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for this opportunity. Most holy God, we need your holiness. We need your guidance. I thank you that you have put into our DNA the values that matter most. I pray for every one of our listeners here to take time to discover and uncover, define their core values so that they can live out a life that is flourishing. Father, you desire so much more than we could imagine or think about. We thank you for the life that you have given us. Help us to live it well. Help us to live it for your glory and not our own. I thank you, Father, that you have given us tools, this podcast being one, 
values explorations, boundary setting, speaking up for ourselves, and hearing and seeing other human beings for who they are. Help us to have the courage, not only to see ourselves, but to see one another in the fullness and completeness that you have granted each one of us. I pray if anybody here doesn't know you, that is listening, that they would seek to pause, to examine their own hearts, to notice that you are active and living in their lives and to choose you, to choose you for every choice and decision that they make in their lives. We praise you for who you are. We thank you that you are the author, giver, and the protector of our faith. I thank you for this ministry and all that you do. Protect it, guide it, direct it, and may it impact lives today, tomorrow, and into eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Relationship Truth Unfiltered. If you need clarity on whether your marriage is difficult, disappointing, or destructive, go to leslievernick.com forward slash start for Leslie's free quick start guide. It's totally private and will help you get clear on your next step. Again, that's leslievernick.com forward slash start. Until next time, may God bless your relationships with him, with yourself, and with others.